Welcome to The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists, examining timely psychological trends and excellence in clinical practice. I'm Dr. Samuel Lustgarten. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Torna Lee. Dr. Lee is a psychologist and a clinical director for CHE Behavioral Health Services. She provides support to clinicians in the adult, outpatient, and inpatient long-term care programs. Her postdoctoral training focused on substance use and co-occurring disorders. Her professional interests include multicultural community psychology, geropsychology, and mindfulness practices. She also conducts resilience, workshops, trauma-informed care trainings, and mindfulness meditation for healthcare professionals in the community. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Torna. Sam, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Well, we have been connecting even up until this podcast about the idea that, you know, you are doing something really unique at CHE. You are bringing mindfulness to the workplace. You're organizing mindfulness meditation sessions with your workplace. And you've even talked with the National Register um, through webinars and programming materials about this topic as well. And so I've been really, really excited to, to dig in today, Torna, and talk a little bit about this concept of mindfulness in maybe a new way than, than we've read in you know popular culture or read in media yeah. or even as professionals read, like what it is, what it is not, try to get into some of the scientific understandings of it. And also selfishly to think about, hey, how do we talk about this with our clients and potentially our colleagues, because mm -hmm. even I, as a professional, professional, you know, I got ten years plus now at this point. I I still sometimes get a little nervous when I'm going to introduce it with a client, thinking, I think like, hey, are they going to go for this? And so I wonder if we can start from that like big question of what mindfulness is and maybe what it's not. Yeah, and and thank you for bringing that up. Uh, mindfulness is kind of a funny thing, I think. It tends to be a little bit polarized. In popular culture, you have like the just kind of woo-woo, you know, people doing mm -hmm. it, and, and you kind of have to be in a certain stance or a certain place or position in order to engage in mindfulness meditation. Um, or if you're looking at it from a clinical practice perspective, it looks like it needs to be very rigid or has to follow certain rules. And what I like to talk about is it doesn't have to be either. And mm -hmm. it, in fact, it can be very approachable. So if you think about mindfulness in its roots and what it really is, it's simply about being present with intention and without mm -hmm. judgment. Easier said than done. Like, what does that even mean? What does that even look mm -hmm. like? So being present, it means whatever you are doing or engaging in or thinking about, can you participate in that specific task wholly? meaning without letting distractions get in the way, without planning for something. Um, uh, an example I like to give is, uh, uh, and I'm not very good at this, so I'm, I'm guilty, but I, I brush my teeth. I'm not the type of person that likes to sit in front of the sink or stand in front of the sink and just brush. Mm -hmm. I walk around and I see things I need to pick up around the house, those mm -hmm. things I need to do. Am I brushing my teeth mindfully? No, absolutely not. So I bring that up as an example because 
it, I don't necessarily need to be in a specific position to practice. I can just brush my teeth mindfully and fully mm-hmm. aware that I'm brushing my teeth and doing it with intention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so mindfulness is about that, just being present um, and with intention. Mm-hmm. What mindfulness is not, as some folks might sometimes get this confused, is that uh, it's a means for relaxation. Like, oh, I mm-hmm. need to meditate and practice mindfulness because I'm so stressed out right now and I need to relax. Yeah. Um, oftentimes when I introduce mindfulness to whether clients or colleagues or even friends, I say, you don't have to uh, really re- relax. That's really not the end goal. In fact, it can be uh, counterproductive if you make that your end goal, because what if you don't feel relaxed at the end of mm-hmm. your 10 minute, five minute mindfulness practice? Then what right. did you fail at the practice? And I, I always say, no, you didn't. So if you end up feeling relaxed at the end, wonderful, but that mm-hmm. isn't the purpose. The purpose, um, again, is not so much about how often you can stay in the present moment or for how long, but rather how frequently you can return when you do get distracted. Mm-hmm. So it's giving yourself permission to understand that you will be distracted in this practice. Your attention will be pulled away, but can you come back? And when you do come back and however long it takes you to come back, you could come back two minutes, two seconds, or 20 minutes later, you zoned out mm-hmm. and then you come back. But when you come back, can you be kind to yourself? Can mm-hmm. you say, ah, I was just distracted for a minute there or however long. But here I am, and this is what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. a part of it is that kindness and non-judgmental um, perspective, because mm-hmm. when we are harsh on ourselves, when we bring our attention back, we're less likely to come back to that attention. Like, why mm-hmm. would my attention, if I think about it as sort of a separate entity, want to come back when every time it comes back, I scold it for going away, right? That's mm-hmm. just what the brain does. It naturally just digresses and thinks and plans and organizes. So mm-hmm. we, we shouldn't really punish it. Um, and I think really that's just sort of the core of mindfulness mm-hmm. is just being kind. And even your introduction there, there are some things that I would imagine are pretty provocative to listeners, right? Like it's not a relaxation technique is kind of what you started with. At least that's right. not the primary goal. Right, right. And I'm thinking about people that are, um, maybe in training or even in have been in practice for some time thinking about here are my techniques and strategies to help people that are dealing with some kind of anxiety, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they might implement some kind of deep breathing technique or some kind of mindfulness technique. And it sounds like as you introduce it, like maybe there's a little bit of a, a difference or a distinction that you're trying to make here, that this isn't just like a deep breathing technique to to help calm you down. Right, exactly. That is the byproduct of it, but it's Mm -hmm. not the intention. And I think as a practitioner, it's important for us to understand that distinction and explain it to the people that we work with. Mm -hmm. So when we are engaging in the practice, it's about creating a little bit of space between Mm -hmm. the thing that you're experiencing. So let's say that's anxiety, worrying, negative thinking, creating space between that and your response to it. So oftentimes okay. we become reactive to our environment or even just our thoughts, whether real or perceived or reactive to it. And mm-hmm. when we become reactive to it, our body gets into action mode and it, it, it works up, right? All these things kind of fall into place. Um, but if we're able to pause 
we make a conscious decision to respond to it versus mm. reacting. So when we respond, we are activating a different part of our brain to sort of uh, kind of be curious about our experiences to understand it versus mm. reacting. As you know, oftentimes when we react, the consequences aren't always in our favor. Right. Maybe we become you know, explosive or we say mm. things to our partners we don't mean or we do things that we don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we respond, we can make a conscious decision to choose something different, possibly mm-hmm. better. Maybe not always. Sometimes I still make the wrong decision, sure. but at least I have a better opportunity to do that. And with that space, we start to develop a different relationship to what we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. I think that's the piece that as practitioners, uh, for us, it's kind of important to really think about. Um, because it is it is challenging, right? If we're uh, sort of uh, kind of not superficial, but maybe reductively explaining this practice to our clients, it can sometimes sound counterintuitive. Right. You, you, right. It's like saying, so you're telling me to not do, you're telling me to mm-hmm. just simply be, but I need to work on my anxiety. I need to work on this. Exactly. Need, right. Um and yes, if you explain it that way, of course, then you're not going to have that buy-in. No one's going to want to sit around and just kind of hang out with their anxious feelings. That's not a good feeling to have. But I think um, when we explain mindfulness, incorporating that psychoeducation piece at the beginning is really mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds essential. And I I can imagine almost everyone that, that is going to listen to this podcast can relate in their own way about a moment where they've reacted that instinct has taken over in a way that is not as effective in their life as they might like in a long-term way like in the short term or the immediate moment boom that reaction comes out and i'm hearing torna like part of potentially the the work is about developing the ability to to create a pause in those moments to then be really thoughtful about your response Correct. Yeah. And it doesn't have to just apply to our quote unquote negative experiences. Mm. Um, I use that term very loosely. Mm -hmm. It can apply as we would like to positive experiences. So think about a time when you were looking forward to something, a vacation, right? You Mm. worked really hard all season and then now you go on your vacation. And then when you get to your vacation, are you truly fully enjoying that experience? Or mm-hmm. are you thinking about all the things that you forgot to do before you you left uh, mm-hmm. or the things that are waiting for you when you come back? So mindfulness itself can also be uh, little moments, uh, little opportunities to practice being present and tuning into whatever it is that you are enjoying or trying mm-hmm. to enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. So um for me, a practice that I, I've been working on is going for walks. So mm. I, I like to take my my walks uh, throughout the day if I can, if my, my schedule allows for it. And I do find myself that when I first get started, it is a struggle for me because I'm thinking mm-hmm. about walking faster so I can get over with this walk so I can go back to the thing that I was doing. But it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. That thing will always be waiting for me. So mm-hmm. can I give myself permission? And mindfulness is something that needs 
to be practiced. I can't, Mm -hmm. I mean, I can talk your ear off on this podcast for three hours. It won't make a difference until you Mm -hmm. or I get off and, and practice. And I, Mm -hmm. I hope those folks who are listening can be start to think about it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, whether you have your personal practice yourself, or this is something you want to incorporate in your clinical practice, it really starts with you individually and your ability to insert moments throughout your day to participate. Mm-hmm. I mean, even as a professional colleague or, a, you know, a, in the field with you, that resonates with me a great deal. You know, as a human being, I, I feel like, wow, I've got this endless to-do list going through my oh. head, right? And I, just because I'm on break or in between appointments doesn't mean that the mind stops telling me about my to-do list. And so I'm like, I'm just in it. I'm thinking about, okay, now I'm going to have my cup of coffee, but I really should get started on my clinical notes. You know, like (laughs) I really need to write. And it's always the clinical notes torn up. I got to tell you, if there's one thing on my to-do, it never leaves my to-do. It gets checked off and then it comes back on my to-do list. But, you know, it can be as simple as that. Like I I got these notes to do. I've got these things that are just constantly to be done every day. And... And it can feel really endless and anxiety provoking. But what I'm also hearing from you is like that intentional pause, that intentional recognition that the the to-do list in some ways never ends. Right. But the ability to to be mindful in this moment is critical. Yeah, it's permission to stop. Uh It's permission to pause. And it takes a while for us to learn that it's okay to give ourselves permission and mm-hmm. you're right, these to-do lists, these tasks, these things that call for attention, it is endless um, because we we live. That's a yeah. part of what we do, right? So to not have those things means something else that's probably not so great, mm-hmm. but it can be very exhausting. And when you unintentionally, and I say inten- unintentionally because oftentimes it's automatic, it's autopilot, right? These mm-hmm. kind of auto negative thoughts. Um, we, we need to, we need to, we need to stop. We need to, uh, give ourselves permission, um, Mm -hmm. because we are in a very, in my opinion, uh, just kind of hustle culture doing Mm -hmm. more is better. Being productive is better. Resting comes with, um, for some, I know for me, uh, feelings of guilt, like I'm not Mm -hmm. allowed to stop and rest, but when that happens, the brain never gets a break. Right. Not even yeah. when you're sleeping, you know, for some, I, I can imagine uh, getting nightmares or having restless sleep is because during the day, there aren't opportunities to stop. So again, mm-hmm. kind of coming back and saying, you know what, it's okay if I don't do those things. It's okay if I just enjoy my cup of coffee mm-hmm. or simply enjoy doing my notes. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The word permission, it, as soon as you said it, it really... Um, it was a really powerful word because I was working with a couple just the other day and we were talking about like the permission to take space from each other during a conflict. Right. Mm -hmm. And it can feel like, well, how are we going to get anything done if we take a break from this fight? Like we've got to fight through it was, is often the mentality. It's not just this couple. It's oftentimes in conflict and it doesn't even need to be intimate relationships you know, well, how are we going to get anything done if we take a break in this moment? And that really resonates with me as well, Torna, as you say, like, we got to give ourselves permission, because with that couple, even though this wasn't a mindfulness exercise, it was like, there's a recognition that like, at some point, we may overload 
our frontal cortex, right? Like we will overload with stress and not be acting in our best interest in effective action. And so let's give ourselves the permission of that break in this moment. So that, that, that really resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because you bring up the brain and let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm going to kind of geek out for a second. So when we are stressed, as we're familiar, the the parts of the brain, main part of the brain that gets activated is the amygdala. That's Mm -hmm. the the sneaky little part that uh, lights up our fight or flight or fear Mm -hmm. or anxiety or worry. So if you look at long-term meditators, and when I say long-term, really anyone who's been in practice consistently for about eight weeks, so there there are studies Mm -hmm. out there, they actually show that there is a, a reduction in gray matter in the amygdala mm-hmm. when you've been in practice. And there's an increase in gray matter in the frontal cortex and the hippocampus, which mm. um, to kind of summarize is responsible for all the all the good feelings, all the mm-hmm. you know emotional regulation, the um, the critical thinking, the ability to differentiate scenarios, all the good stuff that we want. Um, so it's really interesting because when we are constantly in that state of stress, our amygdala goes up, but mm-hmm. the brain is also really awesome. There's neuroplasticity. There's mm-hmm. an ability to form neurons. So the, the, the more neurons that fire together, they wire together. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it from a, a practical viewpoint, the more you worry, the better you become at worrying because sure. there's more neurons that are connecting. Right. So, you know, again, with like mindfulness and, and meditation, finding those little moments um, to pause, mm-hmm. you're literally redirecting some of those neurons in the brain. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool? I, it sounds amazing. I got some work to do. I haven't hit my eight weeks, not consistently. <laughs> so I've got some work to do. But when you started out saying like long term, I was like, oh, how many years? How many years, Torna? But when you say <laughs> yeah. eight weeks, okay, that, you know, it, it, all of a sudden to, to speak to motivation, right? Like all of a sudden I'm like, okay, eight weeks, maybe I can do eight weeks. Um, so it's making me think about, you know, as we talk about the the concept and even some of the neurological bases for, for mindfulness and some of these practices, it makes me think about introducing it to clients. And you've talked about it a little bit, but I'm wondering, do you have like a spiel or a way that you tend to talk about this when you first introduce it with them? Yeah, I love that you asked that. Um, it's a very practical question. Um, I typically like to ask them what their understanding of it is if they haven't. Mm-hmm. So they say, oh, yeah, I took mindfulness in my, you know, hot yoga class, you know, right. <laughs> um, whatever it is. Or no, I have a very formal kind of hardcore practice. Great. Or I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get a gauge there and I typically like to find out what, what are their presenting problems? What are their stressors? Um, mm-hmm. What's not working for them? Because I want it to make it applicable to them. You know, I don't always introduce mindfulness or incorporate mm-hmm. it into my practice if it's not indicated. So I'm very careful about that. I, I don't want folks listening to think that this is sort of a catch-all. This is truly a supplement to a lot of other evidence-based interventions that you'll be doing. Um, but this is kind of one way to get in. Mm-hmm. So let's say someone is um, experiencing symptoms of depression, just as an example, and they have a lot of negative self-talk. Um, and 
a lot of it tends to be automatic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we know, you know, let's say we're using CBT, we kind of explore that and uh, try to help them uh, debunk some of those automatic thoughts, things like that. That sounds great. But here's the thing. If they are not aware of it, mm-hmm. it won't matter. We mm-hmm. cannot insert that intervention to help them reframe if they're simply not aware of it. So with mindfulness, uh, there's uh, sort of a few different types of mindfulness practices. The first one is a concentration. So it really just is focused on turning inward and finding an anchor and, and something uh, to focus on. The uh, other one is sort of kind of open-ended, mm-hmm. open-ended meaning you can uh, sit there or however you want to practice and allow uh, whatever comes into your mind and observing it and then letting it go. So that tends to be a little bit more challenging and difficult. I don't always introduce that. I typically like to do the attention and focus first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tell them, and well, you know, it, this will get, again, coming back to that brain biology, right? So the more you practice, the easier it is to access this. Mm-hmm. So if you are trying to make a log of all the negative thoughts you have in your day and you're only able to do three, I highly doubt mm-hmm. there's three. There's probably a lot more, but it's outside of your awareness. But what this practice will do is train that part of your brain to come back and come back and come back mm-hmm. so you can be aware. And every time you notice you have a negative thought, you can say to yourself, oh, I have a negative thought. Okay to be kind of neutral about it and not Mm -hmm. let yourself or try not to let yourself get carried away. And even if you do again, coming back, Oh, well, I just got carried away. Great. All right. And Mm -hmm. come back to that. So I try to find whatever it is that they are struggling with. And then I, I kind of reframe it that way. I Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And it speaks to like the, the individualized care or personalized care that, that this is not a one size fits all. I'm going to, okay, session two, I'm going to introduce mindfulness with every client I work with. There's some of it, which is thinking, okay, is this someone who might be a good fit for this? But then also I'm hearing you kind of lean heavily on, there's some biological bases or neurobiological bases for why we might want to do this. And here's how it might help as well. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And and I yeah. say, okay, we're gonna so if you're if you're asking more, well, what does that actually look like in session? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so I'll, I'll say something like, you know, um, we're gonna try something a little bit different. Uh, mm-hmm. We are going to sit uh, or stand whatever feels comfortable for you. Um, and we're gonna practice focusing on our breath. If that's the anchor that I choose. And for some folks, that can be very triggering, uh, focusing on the Mm. breath. So I might do something a little bit more tangible. Um, I've given uh, just kind of little knickknacks on my desk, you know, like Mm. a little paperweight or something, and I have them hold it. And I say, all I want you to do is just hold this in your hand. And just sit with it for a second. What does it feel like? Describe it to me. Mm-hmm. And then they do it for maybe just two minutes. And they're like, oh, this is silly. Like, I want to go back to talking about the fight that I had with my partner. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, great. We will. But what was that like for you? Oh, I noticed I couldn't focus because I was so distracted because mm-hmm. I was thinking about the fight that I had. And then the way I respond is typically wonderful. And they mm-hmm. look at me like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? I said, wonderful, because you know what? You were in the middle of doing something such as holding this paperweight and trying to describe it, but you found yourself being really distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just the, the beginning part. And and why we want to make note of that is because 
when you bring attention to the fact that your attention was pulled away, that is a mindfulness practice. You mm -hmm. are developing that mm -hmm. awareness. And that's the part that I, I try to explain. It's very experiential. Incredible. What I haven't heard you say is this is going to reduce your stress, right? Like back to that <laughs> initial point to kind of go full yeah. circle with this. I haven't heard you say this is a stress reduction technique or a stress reliever. But I can see why you say like secondarily, it may provide those benefits. Right. I, the last thing I want to do is add more pressure. Mm -hmm. our clients are already feeling it. In fact, we're probably feeling it as clinicians on helping mm -hmm. and fixing and guiding. Um, when we put pressure, that means there's an expected outcome, which really takes away from the practice itself. It's it's mm -hmm. really the opposite of what we're trying to do. So I, I yeah. love that you, you notice that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so as we talk about maybe what it sounds like introducing it with a client and and talking through it with them, but also experiencing it with them as a conversation. It makes me also wonder about something you told me before we even started uh, rolling for the podcast, which is around the idea that you also coordinate some of these services for the workplace that you're at, at CHE Behavioral Health Services. It seems like there's something there too that you're working on. I'd love to hear more about what you're doing within the workplace culture and, and what that looks like there too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a part of CHE's wellness committee um, and our uh, DEIB, the diversity committee. Mm -hmm. And something we're trying to do is promote wellness. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of funny that we have to say that because we are a wellness organization. Right, right. Um, but when I speak to many clinicians and non-clinical staff, we are probably one of the worst at taking our own wellness advice or from our own mm -hmm. wellness uh, providers. Um, so I had this idea of uh, starting up a mindfulness meditation group, and it's open to all employees, uh, clinical or non-clinical, and it's once a month. And it's just about 30 minutes. It's not long. And mm -hmm. the theme changes every week. And I just had a, uh, a new uh, participant come on, and it was his first time doing mindfulness. And he's never wow. had exposure to it. And he's like, but I'm here. And I did it. And I was, oh, my gosh. And it was so wonderful mm. to hear, you know, people yet are still um, being curious about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and another um, uh, practice that we did more recently was a world peace meditation. Uh, mm -hmm. We offer that for uh, everyone in light of everything that's happening in the world right now, yeah. internationally. Um, and that was uh, focused more on uh, a loving kindness meditation. So kind mm -hmm. of like gratitude, um, mm -hmm. as you know, uh, the, uh, if you're familiar, the the negativity bias, there's just a tendency for human nature to kind of focus on the negative things. Um, mm -hmm. I don't recall what the study or the science was like, it, you need, I don't know, I'm just guessing 10 positive things to override, mm -hmm. like, you know, one bad thing or something like that. Um, so with the loving kindness meditation, it's an opportunity to kind of pull up uh, some of those positive feelings that we have for ourselves mm -hmm. um, and then expanding it to others, uh, mm -hmm. maybe someone who's really neutral, like the mailman or somebody, mm -hmm. and then maybe to someone who we don't uh, favor as much, which can be very challenging. Uh, oftentimes mm -hmm. we don't think about those folks, but even those folks who kind of rub us the wrong way, we can still send positive regard to them. 
So that's just a little bit of a snapshot of some of the things that I do within the organization. Uh, it's really to provide a platform for uh, everyone to to join on. And you don't have to be on camera. And I always give mm -hmm. my spiel like, you know, there's no right or wrong way to meditate. You can sit, mm -hmm. you can lay, you can open your eyes, you can keep them closed. Um, all I want you to do is just notice. That's mm -hmm. it. And take note of it. And then when you take note of it, be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and I and, and it's been a really good experience. And I've been running this probably for close to a year and a half, two years now. Um, mm -hmm. And and it's been going on strong. It's really exciting to hear it. And and just back to your first comment, where you were, even before you talked about what exists there, the idea that like oftentimes we're working within a workplace culture that even though we might be representing a mental health organization can sometimes be really challenging for our mental health and we can feel overworked or we can feel overburdened. Yeah. And it is sometimes a tragic irony, but at the same point, this seems like a really incredible way to advocate for workplaces, advocate within your own workplaces. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to, to just hear a little bit more about it, Torna, is because I have a hunch that a lot of people could listen to this and say, Oh, maybe maybe we ought to think about doing that at our organization. Maybe we ought to think about implementing, even if it is 15, 20 minutes, just to take that pause ourselves, if nothing else, to be more present for those we're going to work with. Absolutely. And for anyone who is interested in facilitating, you, you don't have to have a strong or a long practice. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I pull up scripts, meditation scripts mm -hmm. online. I'd read through it. There's a ton of resources out there and it's free to the public. And I just pick what what comes up, you know, and sometimes mm -hmm. I check in with the participants and they say, you know what? I have a lot of tension in my body this week. So I might do a body scan meditation mm -hmm. and really just try to tailor it. But the, the message I want to send is, is really anyone can do this. It's mm -hmm. not challenging, but it's creating that time to do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Wonderful. Well, as we sort of segue to the end of our talk today, uh, we talked a little bit about doing one ourselves. And so yeah. I'm, I, truthfully, I'm a little nervous. Uh, it's been a little while since I've, I've been uh, um, intentionally taking time in a mindfulness practice like this. So I'm a little nervous. Where do we go today? What are we going to do? Yeah. Okay. I will walk you through it. Um, so just get comfortable, settle in. Um, I, I like to tell people to just kind of get the wiggles out of it. Feels good, okay. you know. Stretch your arms, move move your body around, um, and you have freedom to keep your eyes open or close them. Whatever feels good. If you choose to keep your eyes open, I invite you to just look at a spot in front of you, maybe like one or two feet in front of you, and soften your gaze. Just soften, mm. just soften your body, uh, soften your face. And then just settle in. Whatever that means for you. And just take a few moments to tune in to yourself. Tune into your body. Tune into your mind. And tune into your feelings. And then just begin to breathe. Breathe intentionally. Breathe thoughtfully. And for you, that might mean taking a deep breath if your body calls for it or several. 
or simply allowing the breath to flow naturally. Sometimes when we tune into our breath, there's a tendency to want to control it or it feels a little awkward. Just know that that's normal. And just allow your breath to flow. Your body knows what to do. And I invite you to bring your awareness to your nose, to your nostrils and start observing your breath there. So as you breathe in, can you feel the cool air entering your nostrils? And as you breathe out, can you feel the warm air exiting? And if you don't feel either, that's okay too. Just notice, just breathe. And as you breathe, just know that distractions will come and go. Distractions can be noises around you. It could be thoughts, images coming up, things you need to do later. Or even that little rumble in your tummy because it's time for lunch or breakfast. So just notice, and if distractions come, they might pull you away, that's okay. But when you come back, you can say to yourself, Ah, I was just distracted for a second there. But here I am breathing. From your nostrils, I invite you to bring your awareness back to your throat. And notice the air entering and exiting the back of your throat and what that feels like. Just breathe. And at your own pace, I invite you to bring your awareness down to your chest and your lungs. And just observe the breath there. Be curious about what it feels like. As you expand, does it feel good or neutral or tight? And as you breathe out, can you feel your lungs collapsing a little bit, your chest pressing down? Notice any physical sensations, any tickling or numbness even.
And as you continue to breathe, I invite you to bring your awareness down to your belly, deep to your diaphragm. And start observing your breath there. And notice your belly expanding. And with each out breath, notice it contracting. You're welcome to stay deep in your belly, or you can go to a different spot in your body where you feel your breath the most. That could be your nostrils, the back of your throat, your chest, or your belly. And let's hang out there for a few moments. And wherever you feel your breath the most, that will be your anchor. You can always come back to that spot when you get distracted, because you will get distracted, and that's normal. As you breathe in, know that you are breathing in. And as you breathe out, know that you are breathing out. And while still breathing, I invite you to bring your awareness to all the different sounds you can hear right now. Sounds far away, outside, sounds in the room, and sounds internally within you. And just notice for a moment and pause. And with your next in-breath, I invite you to take a deep breath in, filling up your lungs all the way to the top. And when you feel like you can't take any more, take another sip of air and then sigh it out. And I invite you to take one more just like that. And when you're ready, I invite you to open your eyes if they're not already open. And just bring your awareness slowly back into the room. Allow the light to enter your eyes. And if it feels good, you may just look around or stretch or move your body. Stretch your arms over your head. Just wake your body back up. And thank yourself for not only showing up for the breath, but staying. It's still coming back. You take your time. <laughs> so many moments, even in that 
you know, few minutes that you did that with us. So many moments where I was like, okay, oh, I'm doing that thing. Okay, great. I'm glad that we talked about it. I'm not going to notice. I'm going to come back. I'm gonna, okay, I know. I just think I heard my little one banging on some toys upstairs. Okay, <laughs> come on back. Yeah. Come on back. Um, but wow, it's been a while since I've done something like that. And yeah. it's it's eye-opening even as a provider to be like, gosh, make that space. Um, this is important. Torna, thank you so much for your time, your presence, and even the practice today. Should people want to learn more about you or CHE Behavioral Health Services, where can they go? Yeah, um, they can go to, for CHE, they can go to chebehavioralhealthservices.com. Um, and if you would like to get connected with me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Great, great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Torna. I'm Dr. Samuel Lustgarten, and this has been The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. As a reminder, all episodes provide general information for discussion purposes only and don't serve as clinical advice or continuing education. Thank you.